welcome to the Space Biff Spacecast. As always, my name is Dan Thoreau. I am your host, and today I am very excited to be joined by a talented designer who recently released his first game. I am joined by Dennis Chan. Welcome, Dennis. Thanks. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, just working remote at home, like every day this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has, how has that been treating you? It's fine. It's uh, I feel a little trapped, but I, I get to concentrate on work and sometimes game design uh, without the, the interruption of going out somewhere. So you're a software engineer, aren't you? Yes. And you're out of Boston? Yep, I live in Boston. I used to live in Boston. Oh, cool. Um, but I was one year old and then okay. we moved. so I, uh, I've been back and I've seen the pond. My first word was duck, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know Boston all that well. Well, you should visit again when everything is over. Yeah. When, as soon as I can visit, I would love to go back to Boston. I remember really liking it when we visited, uh, the one time. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, there, there is a very vibrant game design community in Boston. Uh, oh really? Yeah, we have a group called Game Makers Guild, and we have a lot of members. And we meet every week or every other week. Well, currently online, but otherwise downtown, we just play test games, and and that's actually how I developed my game at the beginning. Really? Yeah. So, so is that how you got your start, or where was the origin of your own design journey? Um, that's. Actually, basically that group. So I moved to Boston in 2012. Um, I didn't have a job at that time. So I was just kind of looking around for hobbies and meetup groups and stuff. And I found this group called Boston Game Prototype Meetup. It was a mouthful. So, so I'm glad they changed the name yeah. to <laughs> Game Maker's Guild. But uh, it was like 10 people and I was very shy. Um, I just went and I played other people's games. Um, some were very good, some were not so good, um, mostly not so good. Um, and I just watched and I looked at what ideas other people had. And eventually I absorbed enough that I stopped lurking and I started doing my own thing. And eventually I brought it to the group, it sucked. And then I kept going and uh, eventually I arrived at some usable ideas and then eventually i got here so here being um you released a game through rio grand games um which has been on the board game geek hotness pretty consistently for the last what two months something like that yeah, a month or two um and it's called beyond the sun which dennis if i can say i think it's one of the best games of the year the year being 2020 by the time this releases it might not be anymore um, I love it. I think it's fantastic. So when you started designing, was this your first design idea or did you have to go through a few different, uh, concepts before you arrived at what became beyond the sun? As a designer, I don't know if other designers think so too. It's like you have a lot of ideas and none of them are really working and they're just kind of in a pool swimming around. And once in a while you pick up one. And it, you work on it a little bit, and then it didn't work again. 
and then you pick up another one. So I can't tell you whether this is my first or 50th idea. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was definitely not the first prototype that I brought to the public, which is that group. I think it was some kind of multi-deck building game because I I like deck building, but there's too many out there. And But what if someone builds multiple decks? So that was one idea that didn't work out yet. And then, uh, and then I brought another one that was like a petri dish themed game. Uh, that was that went a little further, but I kind of lost interest, so it dropped back into that pool of ideas. And this one was the one that got ahead for a little bit. And interestingly, I actually dropped it as well for about two years um, oh, because really? it didn't quite click with me. Um, and then two years, I actually stopped going to the group entirely after I got a job. Um, I just didn't go, it, my ideas weren't going anywhere. So I thought I didn't have the talent for it. Uh, but then I got bored, I guess, one day and I went back to it and I brought this game and I met some new friends that were so excited about it. They, they gave me the validation to keep working oh, on it. Great. So that was the I think that was 2017. Uh, and remember, I joined a group in 2012. Yeah. So that was a long time later with two really big fans that that was enough to motivate me to concentrate on one game. Yeah. Uh, the timeline was very unclear, but so I can't tell you what happened after what, but um, it the, the validation was the, the key that that got this game out of all the pool of other ideas yeah. and that I uh, chose to continue. For those of our listeners who maybe don't know what Beyond the Sun is, um, like sometimes my mom listens to this, why don't you tell us the, the quick version, what is Beyond the Sun? So uh, humans are terrible uh, species. We <laughs> pollute the planet, we fight, and we ignore all the environmental consequences. We, keep, we kept living for about 200 years from now. So in year 2020, uh, uh, sorry, 2200s, uh, we fought some nuclear wars and just kept messing things up. And eventually we realized that we, Earth is dying and this, we're going to all die. So uh, we decided that well, we, we can't just die, so we have to work together finally. So we set aside our differences just for a moment, and turns out when the entire world works together, we can achieve great things. So uh, at that point, we already colonized the moon, but we never could get out. But uh, together, we found a way to get out of the solar system. And then the entire world the entire galaxy opened up to us. And that was the key moment and the beginning of this game of Beyond the Sun. And of course, once this new land to grab, we start fighting again. And that's uh, uh, the beginning of the timeline. Uh, but the fact that all technologies are shared is still kind of ingrained in our culture. So that explains why we have a shared tech tree in the game. So in the game, you uh, have a common technology tree. Uh, you start with knowing very little. You only know how to fly out of the solar system. But uh, in the game, 
players research new technologies and uh, anything new is chosen by the player who first researched it and other people can follow. And the goal of the game is to gain the most victory points by either being the best in researching or um, colonizing the most planets uh, or a combination of both. So the starting point is the invention of uh, basic spacefaring technology. So in the game, it describes it as a, is it a warp drive? Uh, it's a hyperspace drive. I kind of left the details unclear. So you can fill in with your own imagination. Are you Now, I understand you have a background in physics. Mm -hmm. Do you have your own theory about what this warp drive is? Uh, I, I do read a lot of articles about how to build a warp drive. I think the most interesting one is you bend the space around you. Uh -huh. And if it's like a piece of cloth, you just fall because that piece of cloth is stretched or condensed. So you move a little bit and it will just move. You just actually move a lot. So is that like an Albuquerque drive? I don't know. I haven't heard of that term. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's like the folding. Fold uh, Ah, okay. In... Yes, that's another that's another um method, which is you fold a piece of paper and you stick it back together. Uh that was what what I think is feasible. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know if know. that's just just a just a wild guess. Yeah. Yeah. Why would I think complain? that's basically creating a wormhole. Oh, okay. Between in the fourth dimension to go between two spaces. This game focuses a lot on the tech tree. So a lot of the time in board games, you'll see games about exploration or about civilization where it focuses a lot on the map and then you sort of have the tech tree off to the side. So the first thing that I think a lot of people noticed with your game, Dennis, is that the tech tree is the game. And then the map is kind of off to the side and it's, it's, it's a bit smaller. Um, where did that come from? Where did, how did you decide that you were going to make a game about a tech tree first and foremost? Um, like for instance, originally, did you have a big map and a little tech tree? So what happened there? So there are two games that influenced, uh, beyond the sun a lot. The first one is, um, civilization five mm -hmm. on the computer okay. uh, by Sid Meier, uh, and the other one is Eclipse, the board game. Okay. Uh, but the most influence is Civ Five. Uh, I really, really like tech trees, and I play a lot of board games, and I have not seen a single game that has a tree-like tree that <laughs> like players use. I mean, there is kind of one with Advanced Civilization, uh, the really, really old game, but it's like one one or two levels deep. It's not really enough. Uh, and there's another one called Progress, uh, but it's it's not sent. It's it's just more like a card game. Uh, so it doesn't really scratch the itch. I want a real tech tree. Yeah. Uh, in a board game. So that was the origin of the idea. And at the beginning, it was actually ancient civilization. So the entire game was the tech tree uh, as my first idea. Um, but I realized that there's not enough game in it. It was, if it's just a tree, 
and you're just kind of growing your economy, there's not it's missing something. I think that's why I dropped the game for two years. Oh, okay. It was it was there's not another playground for other people to play on. So uh, another problem is because the, the 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 variable tech tree idea was actually from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I realized that ancient civilization doesn't work as well. So you have mathematics, and then uh, in, in in Beyond the Sun, every game the tech tree is different. Right. Uh, all you need to do is to match one color with the one the tech before that. But in ancient civilization, if you have mathematics, and then you have I don't know, uh, iron working after that. It doesn't work as well. Uh, I'm, I was constrained by just the name of the technologies because it's hard to have a variable ancient technology tree. Right. Well, so, oh, go ahead. Well, and, and so you look at the Civilization Five tech tree, for instance, and it's really not a tree. It's, a, it's like a column. Um, and also, yeah, you're right that you... You have to go from mining to masonry to construction to engineering. You can't do anything else. Um, that would make no sense in any other yeah. configuration. Yeah. So, it, and also history already happened. Um, it's hard to make up something that variable uh, with just drawing different color cards. But the and then the idea dawned on me that I can make this a future game, future sci-fi game, and I have way more space to design. So that also influenced me to look at space games. And another really good game is Eclipse, as I mentioned, and uh, it has a tech tree. Well, a list of texts, not a tree, um, but the all, all the names of texts like. It will work for my tree because it's a, it's more open ended. Yeah. Uh, however, I did not like Eclipse in that I'm not a war game person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually a Euro person at heart. It's just the map taking up the entire table and the tech being just like one, one uh, like eight tiles to choose from. It did not satisfy me. So my idea was. Can I represent a map in an abstract way without taking the entire table? So that was when the map was born. It was just four locations at the big, very beginning of the design, but enough stuff that you can fight and you can settle and stuff. And uh, four turned out to be too small, so we added uh, a couple more shipyard locations to make it seven, not counting. Uh, Earth and deep space. Right. So it was a very condensed map, but it kept the essence of fighting without taking over the tech tree. When you do something pretty cool where it doesn't really feel like fighting, um, you are you are taking things from other people, but really it's it's basically an area control game. Um, yes. Where you get a little bonus if you have the most strength in a location, but other people aren't actively penalized; they just lose access to that location. That's correct. Like you, you don't blow up ships. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing that I dislike personally about war games. I get really, really mad when I lose ships. <laughs> uh, in Eclipse, in Scythe, in uh, Twilight Imperium. And what is the closest thing that you can do that doesn't involve being so sad? Uh, I would turn to like classic 
area control games like El Grande, you, you don't lose your cubes. You just stay there, but you don't gain the bonus. And that's a very Euro thing to do, uh, fighting. And that's, and that's, I, I took that into and put it into this game. So I kept all the spirit of fighting without the, the bad feeling that I usually have for when I lose things. That's interesting that you say that, Dennis, because so, so I feel I like all sorts of games. Um, but usually in a fighting game, I'm okay losing something. But actually in Beyond the Sun, when I, am, when I have meticulously planned to colonize a world, so I need a certain amount of ships to colonize it. You, you set it up so that you can't just colonize any system with just one ship. You need a certain quantity there. Um, so when I have meticulously planned it, and then someone comes and takes that system from me, I get, I get much more angry than when someone <laughs> kills a few of my soldiers in another game. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, I, I don't feel that because my asset is not lost. It's there. And if they colonize, I get pushed to a very strategic location, which is the center of the board. Mm -hmm. So the next card drawn is completely empty. So I can't take that then. So it's about timing. And I didn't lose anything. I did lose that one disc temporarily because uh, every time you control something or you lose control, you lose a certain level of production. That That is a little painful, uh, especially if you're counting on that. But usually uh, you produce at the end of your turn, which means that if you really want, you can really want that disc back, you, you can find a way to get it. Mm -hmm. But usually I just turn to something else and let them let them colonize and I come back later yeah. because I'm not, I haven't lost my assets. It's all still on the board. Mm -hmm. See, I'm the, I'm the kind of player who gets uh, vengeful. And then I want to take the disc back. And, and, and furthermore, I, I want to drive them from every system they control, this, which maybe informs a little bit of how I play this. I tend to take a lot of red technologies. Mm. When, so it sounds like you, you, you hew toward the Eurogame school of de design. So yes. how much of the game was informed by your interest in spacefaring versus just you wanted to get the mechanics down, the math down? Um, what, was, what would you say was really driving your design decisions? Uh, let me take you back one, uh, one comment. Uh, I, it's really funny when I watch playtesters. There's like uh, two, almost two types of people. There's the vengeful people. Mm -hmm. And there's the research people. Uh, the research people will run out of things because the economy can't support all the research because they're not putting discs out. And the eventual people, they're not gaining any points because all they do is to take back each other's stuff. <laughs> so it was just really fun to see different personalities come out. And then eventually when someone plays long enough, they will try the other way. Uh, but the person, yeah. the, the person who wins is usually the person who can do both, who knows when to stop right. on one side. Yeah. So it, it's actually really fun to watch. I did not expect that I would cre create something very interesting. Like you, you're going on different camps and you need to be on both. Anyway, I just want to make this comment because I find it I found it very interesting when I was watching people test the game. Well, one thing I like about the game is that you have distilled the number, I, I, I tend to call them verbs. So the, the things you do in the game, the actions you take, 
there aren't actually that many in Beyond the Sun. Um, but like you said, there's actually a great deal of expression of when I, when I sit down to play, I feel like I can express myself very thoroughly with the verbs you've provided, even though there's not that many, there's only really, uh, you know, there's two main resources, there's population and there's, or, but I still feel like I'm balancing that. Um, there's moving and there's colonizing, but I still feel like I have a lot of control over how I'm expanding into the universe. Um, which I think is a, uh, I think it's a great sign that you've developed this game very well. Um, that you didn't need to have 15 actions. You know, you effectively had five or however many there are. Uh, yeah, actually, um, this also ties back to the previous question that you asked. I am a Euro designer, Euro gamer at heart, and I actually want there to be fewer words in the game. Mm -hmm. If you notice that a lot of cards has a lot of words, I want the entire game to be just symbols, but I couldn't do it. It was just, there. The, some of the flavor is in how oh, you colonize this slightly differently and you have some effects. But uh, yes, that's my goal. I, I don't like games that have 15 things that you have to think about. I want something distilled. I want to have not five resources, but one, just, just have or, uh, and well, two, and, and population, but that counts as a worker in a way. So right. you have two resources, um, and it's, it's kind of variation on a theme. You have population, you have or you have different ways to get it, uh, and, and you tweak the, the numbers and, and the effects a little bit, uh, and that created uh, new interactions. But uh, I have to say, in possibly in a future expansion, there may be a third resource. But I, I can't I can't tell yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to spoil it for my sake. Um, but that I'm excited. I am on board for any expansion you do for this game. Um, so one of the things you mentioned about the technology tree was um, players who tend to focus on research reach a point where they're stalling. Um, yeah. And actually, that's one of the things I really dig about this game is whenever I'm playing a civilization game, and civilization games are probably my favorite genre of both board game and computer game, um, but I cannot stand it when I max out my research in a game. I hate Like you get to the end of the tree? or Yeah, when I get to the end of the tech tree. And I feel yeah. like I've researched everything. And some games give you these little end of game things that you can just research over and over for points. Um, but one of the things I love about Beyond the Sun is that that is not possible. Um, you really do have to specialize and focus on what you want. Now, you can probably get everything in, in level one easily, level two. But once you get to level three and especially level four, you're going to be specializing. Um, was that always one of your goals that players would naturally branch off of each other as they played? Uh, I wouldn't say that was one of my goals per se. It, it was just an emergent property that I didn't expect would come out, but because of the shape of a tree in general. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, you, you have a center starting point, basic space faring, and you only have four options that are really cheap. And then it gets more expensive. So, and the points are distributed where if you go deep, it's better than if you go wide. So it naturally people it will push people to go 
deep because you also get more power if you go deep. And uh, I, I did make a conscious design decision to not make research so easy that you fill out the entire board all the time. I want to leave something to be desired. Usually the game ends with like three or two of the level three not even open. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, but, or if people, if it's a game that is flush with resources, maybe they will all be open and maybe all level four will be open, but not everyone gets everything. I, I, I want to leave something to be desired. If you get everything, then what's the fun? Right. Yeah. So just to explain it to our listeners, there are four colors of technology that correspond to different uh, archetypes. For instance, red tends to help you with uh, getting high numbers of ships. Um, did you research uh, what these technologies would be or are they just sort of mismatched sci-fi ideas? Because one of the things that's kind of fun, I think, is when you're playing the game and you see this tree expanding and it very naturally, I think, tells a story where, you know, you get the level two tech hypercomputing. Um, and then at the le at level three, you have something like hive mind or planetary scale research. And you can very easily see how those things would grow out of hypercomputing, maybe by accident um, or maybe by design. Um, and in my review, for instance, I argued that actually this emulates the process of research uh, a little more faithfully than sometimes we see in technology trees, because often in research there are accidents. You know, you'll create something you didn't necessarily set out to create. Was that on your mind when you were designing or was that uh, also a happy accident for you? Oh, definitely that was in my mind. Uh, the four or three basic colors, I forgot when the beginning, whether there were three or four. Those basic properties of the four colors, the uh, people color, green, uh, uh, material and ore, blue, and research, um, and then a wild color yellow and a military color red. They were all at the beginning and the color concept was always from the uh, uh, designed from the beginning as well. Because if I just have a tree with no theme, I think it will lose a lot of flavor. Uh, the fact that you can create a story out of that and, and many other people have done that, uh, that was a little bit of an accident, but but that was due to my planning of the themes. Mm -hmm. Another thing I spent a lot of time, a lot of time on was each technology has two colors or one color. The effect must contain the properties of both colors. It was very hard to design. Mm -hmm. For example, you have a red green. You have to have a technology that gives you ships or a lot of jumps but then you also get to have free people out of it or get uh, a food disc out. So to it's a very constraining uh, thought process, but it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, there were no names yet. So it, there was another fun project thinking of, okay, what is a red-green name? Oh, how <laughs> about uh, Android Militia? Because... Android gives you free people and militia is military. So every name was handcrafted to match the color and every effect was handcrafted to match the colors. And I think that's why like, when you string them all together, when you develop the tree, when the color follow each other, they start to tell a story. Yeah. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that you started with that at least a little bit in mind um, and that I wasn't just uh, reading into the game too much. I mean, uh, that was also kind of a inspiration from Civ Five because you have the animal pottery um, literature side, you have the military side at the bottom of the screen, and then you have the mathematics stuff in the middle, and you have navigation on top. So, and they're all themed. So, I that that was ingrained in me from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Was the uh, was the setting something that you gave a lot of thought to as well, or was that inspired by uh, any science fiction books or movies? Do you have your own headcanon that the game takes place in? So uh, that that's a funny question. So I get inspired by a lot of games and movies and fiction. Uh, at in two thousand seventeen, I believe. Uh, that was when the Expanse TV show was out. <laughs> sure, uh, I, I could be wrong with the, the the timeline. And I was also reading a book series called The Culture Series by Ian Banks. Yes, at the sure. same time. Sure. So those two influenced my game. If you notice, the timeline for my game is very close to the timeline for The Expanse, mm-hmm. uh, and they were just. In the solar system, they never got out. Right. So I advanced the time a little bit, so they just got out, and there was a lot of fighting. And if you notice, the 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 players kind of also kind of the the backstory is a little similar. Sure. And then a lot of the technology names are like when you get to the really high level ones, uh, I I borrowed. I I got a lot of inspiration from the uh, the culture series, like the hive mind. Uh, uh, Android uh, stuff, orbitals and stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about the expanse a little bit in part because it's so popular right now. Um, but I love to hear you name drop the culture series. That's wonderful. That's a, that's an oft overlooked series. I think um, that does a lot of heavy lifting for science fiction. If you were to recommend one Ian Banks culture novel, which would it be? <laughs> The player of games. Yes, and my second question was, and why is it the player of games? <laughs> because it's well, the the simple answer is it. The whole civilization is based on a board game, which is like when I first read it, I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's crazy, and that's very creative, and uh, that's right up my alley. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I th- I think that's all. It's just. He's very creative, and every book has a different kind of boundary he's pushing. You've spoken about some of the inspirations behind it. Um, which faction are you? Hmm. I am a technology guy, so I think I'm the blue faction, the the um, Nishida Erstegod Corporation. Uh, they they excel in in research and uh, they're disciplined because they it's like a structured organization and they have a lot of power through wealth. That's what I aspire to. <laughs> Lots of wealth and power. Yeah, your classic. Uh, and a fun little trivia: the uh, Shida is well. Part of the word is West, and Erstegod is 
part of the world is east, so it's west and east. Oh, nice. Yeah. Was it always so streamlined? Um, for instance, you there are more than two resources, really, but you compress some of them onto those cubes. Um, for instance, ships, supplies, and workers are all the same. And, and by extension, workers also the number of technologies you can research. Those are all compressed onto cubes. Um, was that always one of the things you had wanted to do, or was that something that grew out of development? Uh, that definitely grew out out of development. Uh, as I mentioned, it was ancient civilization first. Uh, at that point, everything was just a plain cube. Either you have a pool of population uh, that costs more and more to build because you need more and more food, and then you place them on your little board that, that will produce things for you. But there was no map at that point, as I mentioned. Right. Once I added the map, I have this little, well, first it was only a track. It was not even a map. It was a military track of one to 10 or something. And I was like, that's not enough. So I started to have uh, territories. There are four slots on the map and each one has a track. And it was kind of clunky because you have to keep track of uh, the numbers and you have to move them between the numbers. Uh, and then I realized that if the military power is up to four and I have these cubes and there's also a place where the cubes are not taken yet, that adds up to six and they're all cubes anyway. So I decided maybe they should, it should be a cube resource cube. And, uh, that that's when the idea was born. Um, and I think it was a, great accident very serendipitous so how did you go from that to being able to pitch it to rio grande which of course is well known for some of their euro game designs but i think a lot of people have been surprised that rio grande published this just because it's it's a little new it's exciting yeah so um well the the at first the meetup group helped a lot game makers guild boston uh, I brought my paper prototype there from the very, very beginning, the ancient civilization themed, um, dropped it for a couple of years, came back. Uh, it was still all paper. It was not polished. And uh, another great thing about Boston is it has an event called the Boston Festival of Indie Games, Boston Fig. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Uh, you get a booth, uh, you submit your game idea and you, if you get in, you get a booth and you can dress it up and you can demo it. And I use that as a deadline for myself because I have my own full-time job. It's really hard to kind of work on side projects sure. and get my motivation. But because there's a September deadline, I put everything together um, and polished it. And that was one way that I crystallized the game. And then I went to the event and the, there was so much buzz about my game. There were so many people, despite a lot of the other games are family style, family games, they're kind of shorter. People really like crowded to my booth, even though it's a much longer game. So I was surprised and that gave me a little more validation. So after that, I put my, I decided to work on it even more. And I think it was getting ready. And uh, that was in September. So in November, there was um, PAX Unplugged. And uh, I decided it was time to pitch to publishers. 
thanks to Cardboard Edison, who has like a list of publishers who are mm -hmm. accepting applications. I emailed some, I found some through social media. I pitched some. Uh, Rio Grande didn't present there, so I didn't get a chance to pitch to them or talk to them. Uh, I didn't actually hear from them until December. I was actually very surprised to hear from them because I pretty much, I, I'm a first time designer. I was pretty much a nobody, uh, but they took an interest uh, in the game. I think it was just, I was just in the sending, I just sent the email at the right time. I think they were looking for space themed stuff that is uh, a little bit crunchy, uh, but still Euro. And that just fell right into what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So I think my game got picked out from all the other, I'm sure many, many prototypes they received. And we started talking and then um, I sent over a prototype, which I had ready because at this point I, I, I can crank out the prototype pretty easily. And uh, one thing led to another. So was that just last December? So it went uh, into uh, official development and production within a year? Uh, no, actually it was 2018, okay. December. Okay, that makes more sense to me because I was going, wow, that's brisk. Yes, there was, it was 2018, December that they, we started talking and then in January 2019, we, we agreed on the contract. It took a little while because of COVID and uh, being a first timer and stuff. One of the things that I've noticed is that in general, in our games, we only research one or two level four technologies. Are we just bad at the game or is that normal? That was expected. Uh, I timed it with the achievements kind of, yeah, because the, one of the achievements is research a level four. And that's often the very last achievement. Mm -hmm. And uh, four achievements will trigger the end of the game and everyone gets only one turn left. And that was intentional because I, again, I don't want everything to open up. I want you to play again and see what happens next time. Yeah. So one of the big questions that I have about the technologies is the way that you offer them. Um, so you mentioned being a big uh, Euro game guy, which can kind of mean two very different things. Uh, it can mean that you're kind of a classic Euro game guy who you don't mind randomness necessarily, or that you're... You know, nowadays, Euro games, there's a lot more uh, sense of direct control. There's there's less input randomness. Um, do you, how do you play? So the way that the, the, the default is to draw two cards um, of the color that you're, you're diving for and pick one of them. But you have an alternate mode in there, um, which is interesting, but also doubles. It, it increases the space this game takes. And... And Dennis, this game takes a lot of space on a table. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> I am. But uh, when I've set this up on my game table, it takes almost the entire game table, which most games do not. Um, this takes a lot of space. And you have an alternate mode where you put out kind of a little grid and put out some technologies in advance so that rather than drawing them at random, you are selecting them. How do you prefer to play? And, and why, why are there these different modes? This speaks to my original design goal. I want, I, I love civilization games and I love Eclipse, but they are catered to heavy gamers. It takes a long time and there are a lot of rules. I want this 
civilization game to be a little more accessible to mid-range players. So, uh, and that's why I came up with the draw to idea. Uh, instead of laying out all the technologies on the table, uh, similar to Caverna, which I like less than Agricola because all the houses, all the rooms are outside. It's just, it's so painful to read them all when you first play it, when you first learn a game. Uh, drawing to allows people, A, the, the element of surprise, mm -hmm. and B, it doesn't burn people's brains out. Right. Uh, so draw to was the default rule because for a relatively less heavy Euro gamer, uh, it is not that much to think about. Uh, however, I do hear a lot of pushback from Euro, heavy Euro playtesters saying, oh, I don't like the random. What if I draw two and I, I hate both of those? So uh, the, the tableau was the, the second idea that came out. It does take a lot more space. You have to do a lot more reading, but at that point you gain all the control. Yeah. Personally, I like the draw too because I like the surprises. Uh, I'm not as heavy as uh, the, heavy, the heavy Euro friends I have. Uh, I, I like being to, having to think on my feet, yeah. basically. Uh, oh no, these two are kind of meh or they're both really good. I have to choose one. And instead of, okay, five turns ahead, I already saw that. Okay, now I can do this first and then, okay, I grab that one I, as long as someone else doesn't grab it first. Well, Dennis, it sounds like maybe you talked to some very uh, picky people um, because I don't know if there's really that many technologies in this game that I would say are bad. Uh, I wouldn't say bad. Maybe that's not a good word. It's not, sometimes it doesn't work for you in a situation. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you have no ore left, like very little. You draw a card that uses four. You have a lot of people. You would rather draw a card that uses a lot of people. You don't want to draw a card that uses four or so. Yeah. Stuff like that. Do you have your own personal favorites? Uh, technology? Yeah, or do you just love them all equally, like children? There, <laughs> there are some that I would change the next, if I were to do this again. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have no particular favorites. I think they're all pretty good. And even the, the cards that I want to change, they, in some situations, they're really good still. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, that's another design challenge, which is, can I make cards that are good even if you're not on that path? Can, can I provide something that entice you so keep you excited instead of saying, oh, I, I don't want any of these? Yeah. So that was that was really hard. And the, the cards that I want to change are a little bit towards if you're not in that path, you're not really using it. That kind of card. Yeah. Do you want to know what my least favorite card is? <laughs> sure. My le and this this has nothing to do with you, Dennis, or or your cards. This has oh, is that human experiments? No, I love human experiments. <laughs> Um, actually someone in my group got upset because I, every, if I, if given the choice, I will always take human experiments, um, which maybe it's a fun name. I know it's a little grim, but it's, it, <laughs> it fits the flavor of the card. You spend humans to research. 
Yes, it does. And it, it fits very well. And especially when I use it to research and I come out with something like cerebral implants or high point computing, it, it sounds especially grim. Yes. Um, so my least favorite card has nothing to do with the card. It has everything to do with the fact that two games in a row, my friend Jeff got this card and he used it to bounce between its two actions pretty much just over and over and do nothing else the whole game. Okay. Um, once he, once he had it, he, he had built toward that card and somehow got it and it's mercenary fleet. Interesting. Because mercenary fleet lets you colonize and it's not that expensive. Um, and I think the big trade-off is that you don't have to sacrifice a worker. Yeah. But then you can use the other action to sacrifice a worker to get a really good ship. And so he would just sit and move his dang cylinder every turn between the two actions it offered. And man, he smoked us. <laughs> so I don't, like, I don't like mercenary fleet. I have not seen anyone do that. Maybe I should look into it. <laughs> no, I, I think you should nerf it. Okay. Just get it or get it out of the game. Okay. Are you going to do that for me in the next edition? Uh, I don't think we have plans to nerf any cards. Uh, All right. You don't really have I, to. No, I, I'm making a note. No, <laughs> I'm I'm totally not being serious. It's uh, I'm I'm so glad that he came up with a with something that, for the rest of the game, he just played with his mercenary fleet and never bugged us again. Right, and and he gets a level four ship, and he by jumping, but he only gets to jump once though. I guess that's enough. He gets two jumps with mercenary. Oh, two fleet, jumps. Okay, which I which is fine. But yeah, he uh, he really abused that mercenary fleet. It was sort of like actually the expanse number five. <laughs> is that the one that it is? Uh, is it the current season? No, I is it? It might be. I think it is. Which maybe yeah. now I'm getting into spoiler territory. I haven't seen. <laughs> I actually haven't seen past season three of the expanse. Okay, I, I've read the books. I won't say anything. Okay, I yeah, I've I've read the books and I am working my way through the the series. I actually thought the new se season was season four, um, so I've missed a whole year somehow. I see. I don't know. And how. just curious, how did he bounce between those two without running out of either resources? I assume he built up to a big resource pool before he does yeah he did right? a, he did a lot of um so one of the cool things you do with this game is that you are playing this little puzzle um on your board with the um automation tracks so i think he had um given himself plenty of ore and then he just made sure to use those colonize actions that he had access to 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 ensure he had a big production turn every round here's an idea Maybe in a future technology, you can temporarily shut down one of the actions until someone pays for it. Oh, Dennis, you're you're brilliant. <laughs> you know exactly how to mess with my friend. If Pat. you if yeah, if this is the mess with Jeff uh, mechanic, you can even call it that if you want. I, I won't. <laughs> I won't. You won't get in trouble with me. One of the things I do like about the game is like the events. Um, like you really have room to play with them where. For instance, you add another system or you have a technology that's, what was it? It, it, it has licensing fees or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like that the events, some of them stick around and have long-term gameplay effects.
that go a little more wild than the norm. Yep. Uh, the events was actually came a little later than um, the rest of the game. Uh, we at the beginning, people were just researching, and you flip, and that's it. And then uh, this is an added flavor that became a core mechanic that I really liked. You still introduce randomness to the game, so you can't completely plan everything out. Mm-hmm. And this allows you to break, so to speak, break the fourth wall in the game. Like, oh, you have a map. Oh, why don't you extend the map for a second? Yeah. Or uh, level four, you can't get to. What if you can just have one that is there? Uh, or you can colonize a system using money, stuff like that. Right. Well, often I found that a lot of the things that are interesting surprises in games come from their small imbalances rather than when they're balanced perfectly. For example, on your technology tree, um, there's one rung that jumps forward really quickly. Um, when when did that become a decision to make it so that the technology tree wasn't just, you know, everything was equal moving up? Well, would you think the game would be interesting if everything looks the same? Well, I don't personally, yeah. but I, I, right. I, I want to hear... You know, I I I love trashy games as much as I love Euro games, so I'm not surprised by that. But um, was that always a feature? Uh, Yes, there was always a feature because I am dissatisfied with just kind of the same thing over and over again. But it was hard to create imbalance while balanced at the same time. So I took a lot of time drafting a four-level tech tree that is still balanced, but with slight imperfections, so mm-hmm. to speak. So if you notice, I counted every single technology so that you need six to get to any level four still. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the one line that sticks out from level one to level three, it seems great, but if you think about it, you have no way to research level three on turn one. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, you, and if you do it, you're stuck with that level one and then you still have to do all the basic stuff again. So it seems fun, but it's actually still balanced. So I, I like that little imperfection. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say imperfection. I, I like that little asymmetry right. just to just to give it a little spice. Well, it's, I, I think imperfection isn't a bad word at all. I, w- I would say that it's a little trade-off. Um, because you are reaching a point where you could maybe jump forward, but only if the timing is right. Um, In in fact, it can even make it harder to get a lot of level two technologies, um, which for so much of the game are your bread and butter, just because they kind of open up the new, you know, here's a bunch of new ways to get ships. Here's a bunch of ways to colonize. Here's a bunch of ways to automate your, your system. Yeah, and I actually fall prey to my own design when I play the game. I actually very seldom win my own game (laughs) because I'm so attracted by this line. So I would be like doing level one, level one, level one, and then the the guild action, which is a common action that anyone can take without research, for level three comes out. I'm like, I want to be the first one to take this level three. So I spent all my money, all my resources to get that level three. (laughs) And remember, I played the draw two version. So sometimes it's like, oh, oops, now I, <laughs> I'm left behind. I have nothing. I have to wait a couple of turns instead of just doing your normal thing. So 
yes, the line is there, but it can be a trap. And, and I think that's fun. Yeah. Have you found that you can play this game without ever taking the, uh, we call it the pity action, which is that you get a worker and a ore. Yeah, most often time I try not to. Yeah. Uh, usually in dire circumstances, I have to, but people have also taken it strategically to win. Really? So it's not always a pity. Well, that's interesting because usually I can get through, I think I've gotten through two plays where I haven't had to resort to that action. Um, and I usually feel really smart. But now you're telling me that the not smart thing could be the smarter thing. How is that yeah. possible? If it propels you to get, uh, well, one, one obvious one is if you want to empty out your thing, uh, your, your tracks because of achievement, oh, you sure. can use, do that. Or if you're working through, uh, towards an expensive level four and to shut down the game, to end the game, you can take that and just to get the math right. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So just to just as we approach the end here dennis first of all thank you for joining me uh it was lovely being able to talk to you and hear a little bit more about beyond the sun um as Same i as well as i said before i think this is a wonderful game i think people should check it out are you working on anything new now if, i know you have a full-time job um you're but you're trapped at home are you working on anything exciting that maybe people uh should be on the lookout for well, first off, I'm working with Real Grant for an expansion, so that takes a little uh, a chunk of my time. Uh, and other than that, I have ideas swirling in my mind that that pool of ideas that I talked about, but nothing has. I haven't fished anything out yet. They're, mm -hmm. they're just half ideas. But um, the next big ideas I want to go towards is I really like time travel. I want to know if I can make a board game that is not like just a themed time travel game, but really time travel in a game. That's mm -hmm. one. Uh, or maybe another tech tree game, but not not the same, but a different type of tree. What if the tree is circular? Um, stuff like that. I, I really like unique mechanics, but that's also a curse because if you want to make another deck building game, you know how to do it. Right. Uh, but if you're creating something completely new, that takes a long time. And most of the time you run into just dead end. So I have a lot of pool, a pool of ideas, but nothing, nothing is coming. Nothing is screaming at me that this is it yet. Okay. Well, that's good to hear that you're working on stuff. And I, and I like to hear that you're working on innovative stuff. Um, the world doesn't need more deck builders, at least not, not unless they're connected to something else. Um, I do like a deck builder, especially if it's a hybrid design that does a little, you know, does something differently. Yeah, there are quite a few hybrid deck builders recently. Uh, that's interesting. I, I, I've played them, some of them. Well, thank you, Dennis. Um, thank you for joining me today. As always, I am Dan Thoreau, and this was the Space Biff Spacecast. Thank you.